0: This is section 18 of Newspaper Articles by Mark Twain. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Newspaper Articles by Mark Twain, section 18. Territorial Enterprise, May 1864. Territorial Enterprise, May 1st through May 15th, 1864. Washoo. Information Wanted. Springfield, Missouri, April 12th. Dear Sir, My object in writing to you is to have you give me a full history of Nevada. What is the character of its climate? What are the productions of the earth? Is it healthy? What diseases do they die of, mostly? Do you think it would be advisable for a man who can make a living in Missouri to emigrate to that part of the country?' There are several of us who would emigrate there in the spring if we could ascertain to a certainty that it is a much better country than this. I suppose you know Joel H. Smith? He used to live here. He lives in Nevada now. They say he owns considerable in a mine there. Hoping to hear from you soon, etc., I remain yours truly, William Blank. DEAREST WILLIAM Pardon my familiarity, but that name touchingly reminds me of the loved and lost whose name was similar. I have taken the contract to answer your letter, and although we are now strangers, I feel we shall cease to be so, if we ever become acquainted with each other. The thought is worthy of attention, William. I will now respond to your several propositions in the order in which you have fulminated them." your object in writing is to have me give you a full history of Nevada. The flattering confidence you repose in me, William, is only equaled by the modesty of your request. I could detail the history of Nevada in five hundred pages octavo, but as you have never done me any harm I will spare you, though it will be apparent to everybody that I would be justified in taking advantage of you if I were a mind to do it. However, I will condense— Nevada was discovered many years ago by the Mormons, and was called Carson County. It only became Nevada in 1861, by act of Congress. There is a popular tradition that God Almighty created it, but when you come to see it, William, you will think differently. Do not let that discourage you, though. The country looks something like a singed cat, owing to the scarcity of shrubbery and also resembles that animal in the respect that it has more merits than its personal appearance would seem to indicate. The Grosch brothers found the first silver-lead here in 1857. They also founded Silver City, I believe," observed the subtle joke, William. But the history of Nevada, which you demand, properly begins with the discovery of the Comstock Lode, which event happened nearly five years ago the opinion now prevailing in the east that the comstock is on the gould and curry is erroneous on the contrary the gould and curry is on the comstock please make the correction william signify to your friends also that all mines here do not pay dividends as yet you may make this statement with the utmost unyielding inflexibility it will not be contradicted from this quarter The population of this territory is about thirty-five thousand, one-half of which number reside in the United Cities of Virginia and Gold Hill. However, I will discontinue this history for the present, lest I get you too deeply interested in this distant land, and cause you to neglect your family or your religion. But I will address you again upon the subject next year. In the meantime, allow me to answer your inquiry as to the character of our climate." It has no character to speak of, William, and, alas, in this respect it resembles many—ah, too many chambermaids in this wretched, wretched world! Sometimes we have the seasons in their regular order, and then again we have winter all the summer, and summer all winter. Consequently, we have never yet come across an almanac that would just exactly fit this latitude, it is mighty regular about not raining though william it will start in here in november and rain about four and sometimes as much as seven days on a stretch after that you may loan out your umbrella for twelve months with the serene confidence which a christian feels in four aces sometimes the winter begins in november and winds up in june and sometimes there is a bare suspicion of winter in march and april and summer all the balance of the year but as a general thing william the climate is good what there is of it what are the productions of the earth you mean in nevada of course on our ranches here anything can be raised that can be produced on the fertile fields of missouri but ranches are very scattering as scattering perhaps as lawyers in heaven nevada for the most part is a barren waste of sand embellished with melancholy sage-brush and fenced in with snow-clad mountains But these ghastly features were the salvation of the land william for no rightly constituted american would have ever come here if the place had been easy of access and none of our pioneers would have stayed after they got here if they had not felt satisfied that they could not find a smaller chance for making a living anywhere else. "'Such is man, William,' as he crops out in America. "'Is it healthy?' "'Yes, I think it is as healthy here as it is in any part of the West. But never permit a question of that kind to vegetate in your brain, William, because as long as Providence has an eye on you, you will not be likely to die until your time comes.' "'What diseases do they die of, mostly?' well they used to die of conical balls and cold steel mostly but here lately erysipelas and the intoxicating bowl have got the bulge on those things as was very justly remarked by mr rising last sunday i will observe for your information william that mr rising is our episcopal minister and has done as much as any man among us to redeem this community from its pristine state of semi-barbarism We are afflicted with all the diseases incident to the same latitude in the States, I believe, with one or two added and a half-dozen subtracted on account of our superior altitude. However, the doctors are about as successful here, both in killing and curing, as they are anywhere. Now, as to whether it would be advisable for a man who can make a living in Missouri to emigrate to Nevada, I confess I am somewhat mixed." if you are not content in your present condition it naturally follows that you would be entirely satisfied if you could make either more or less than a living you would exult in the cheerful exhilaration always produced by a change well you can find your opportunity here where if you retain your health and are sober and industrious you will inevitably make more than a living and if you don't you won't you can rely upon this statement william it contemplates any line of business except the selling of tracts you cannot sell tracts here william the people take no interest in tracts the very best efforts in the tract line even with pictures on them have met with no encouragement here besides the newspapers have been interfering a man gets his regular text or so from the scriptures in his paper along with the stock sales and the war news every day now if you are in the tract business william take no chances on Washu. But you can succeed at anything else here. I suppose you know Joel H. Smith. Well, the fact is, I believe I don't. Now isn't that singular? Isn't it very singular? And he owns considerable in a mine here, too. Happy man! Actually owns in a mine here in Nevada territory, and I never even heard of him. Strange! strange do you know william it is the strangest thing that ever happened to me and then he not only owns in a mine but owns considerable that is the strangest part about it how a man could own considerable in a mine in washoe and i not know anything about it he is a lucky dog though but i strongly suspect that you have made a mistake in the name i am confident you have you mean john smith i know you do I know it from the fact that he owns considerable in a mine here, because I sold him the property at a ruinous sacrifice on the very day he arrived here from over the plains. That man will be rich one of these days. I am just as well satisfied of it, as I am of any precisely similar instance of the kind that has come under my notice. I said as much to him yesterday, and he said he was satisfied of it also." but he did not say it with that air of triumphant exultation which a heart like mine so delights to behold in one to whom I have endeavored to be a benefactor in a small way. He looked pensive a while, but finally says he, Do you know, I think I'd been a rich man long ago if they'd ever found the d- 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 ledge. That was my idea about it. I always thought, and I still think, that if they ever do find that ledge, His chances will be better than they are now. I guess Smith will be all right one of these centuries, if he keeps up his assessments. He is a young man yet. Now, William, I have taken a liking to you, and I would like to sell you considerable in a mine in Washu. I think I could get you a commanding interest in the Union, Gold Hill, on easy terms. It is just the same as the Yellow Jacket, which is one of the richest mines in the territory. The title was in dispute between the two companies some two years ago, but that is all settled now. Let me hear from you on the subject—greenbacks at par is as good a thing as I want. But seriously, William, don't you ever invest in a mining stock which you don't know anything about. Beware of John Smith's experience. You hope to hear from me soon? Very good. I shall also hope to hear from you soon, about that little matter above referred to now william ponder this epistle well never mind the sarcasm here and there and the nonsense but reflect upon the plain facts set forth because they are facts and are meant to be so understood and believed remember me affectionately to your friends and relations and especially to your venerable grandmother with whom i have not the pleasure to be acquainted but that is of no consequence you know I have been in your town many a time, and all the towns of the neighbouring counties. The hotel keepers will recollect me vividly. Remember me to them. I bear them no animosity. Yours affectionately Mark Twain Territorial Enterprise, may twenty fourth, eighteen sixty four Personal Correspondence one. Enterprise Office, Saturday, may twenty first, eighteen sixty four. James Laird Esquire Sir in your paper of the present date appeared two anonymous articles in which a series of insults were leveled at the writer of an editorial in thursday's enterprise headed how is it how it is i wrote that editorial some time since it was stated in the virginia union that its proprietors were alone responsible for all articles published in its columns you being the proper person by seniority to apply to in cases of this kind I demand of you a public retraction of the insulting articles I have mentioned, or satisfaction. I require an immediate answer to this note. The bearer of this, Mr. Stephen Gillis, will receive any communication you may see fit to make. Sam L. Clemens 2. Office of the Virginia Daily Union, Virginia, May twenty-first, 1864. Samuel Clemens, Esquire mr james laird has just handed me your note of this date permit me to say that i am the author of the article appearing in this morning's union i am responsible for it i have nothing to retract respectfully j w wilmington three enterprise office saturday evening may twenty first eighteen sixty four james laird esq sir I wrote you a note this afternoon, demanding a published retraction of insults that appeared in two articles in the Union of this morning, or satisfaction. I have since received what purports to be a reply, written by a person who signs himself J. W. Wilmington, in which he assumes the authorship and responsibility of one of said infamous articles. Mr. Wilmington is a person entirely unknown to me in the matter, and has nothing to do with it. In the columns of your paper, you have declared your own responsibility for all articles appearing in it, and any farther attempt to make a cat's-paw of any other individual, and thus shirk a responsibility that you had previously assumed, will show that you are a cowardly sneak. I now peremptorily demand of you the satisfaction due to a gentleman, without alternative. Sam L. Clemens 4. Office of the Virginia Daily Union VIRGINIA SATURDAY EVENING MAY 21ST 1864 SAMUEL CLEMENS ESQUIRE Your note of this evening is received. To the first portion of it I will briefly reply, that Mr. J. W. Wilmington, the avowed author of the article to which you object, is a gentleman now in the employ of the Union office. He formerly was one of the proprietors of the Cincinnati Inquirer. He was captain of a company in the 6th Ohio Regiment, and fought at Shiloh his responsibility and character can be vouched for to your abundant satisfaction. For all editorials appearing in the union, the proprietors are personally responsible. For communications, they hold themselves ready, when properly called upon, either to give the name and address of the author, or, failing that, to be themselves responsible. The editorial in the enterprise, headed, How is it, out of which this controversy grew, was an attack made upon the printers of the union, it was replied to by a union printer, and a representative of the printers, who in a communication denounce the writer of the article as a liar, a poltroon, and a puppy. You announce yourself as the writer of the article which provoked this communication, and demand satisfaction. Which satisfaction the writer informs you, over his own signature, he is quite ready to afford. I have no right, under the rulings of the code you have invoked, To step in and assume mr wilmington's position nor would he allow me to do so you demand of me in your last letter the satisfaction due to a gentleman and couple the demand with offensive remarks when you have earned the right to the title by complying with the usual custom i shall be most happy to afford you any satisfaction you desire at any time and in any place In short, Mr. Wilmington has a prior claim upon your attention. When he is through with you, I shall be at your service. If you decline to meet him after challenging him, you will prove yourself to be what he has charged you with being—a liar, a poltroon, and a puppy, and, as such, cannot, of course, be entitled to the consideration of a gentleman. Respectfully, James L. Laird. 5. ENTERPRISE OFFICE, VIRGINIA CITY may twenty first eighteen sixty four nine o'clock p m james l laird esq sir your reply to my last note in which i peremptorily demanded satisfaction of you without alternative is just received and to my utter astonishment you still endeavor to shield your craven carcass behind the person of an individual who in spite of your introduction is entirely unknown to me and upon whose shoulders you cannot throw the whole responsibility you acknowledge and reaffirm in this note that for all editorials appearing in the union the proprietors are personally responsible now sir had there appeared no editorial on the subject endorsing and reiterating the slanderous and disgraceful insults heaped upon me in the communication i would have simply called upon you and demanded the name of its author and upon your answer would have depended my farther action but the editorial alluded to was equally vile and slanderous as the communication, and being an editorial would naturally have more weight in the minds of readers. It was the following undignified and abominably insulting slander appearing in your editorial headed the how-is-it issue that occasioned my sending you first an alternative and then a peremptory challenge.' never before in a long period of newspaper intercourse never before in any contact with a contemporary however unprincipled he might have been have we found an opponent in statement or in discussion who had no gentlemanly sense of professional propriety who conveyed in every word and in every purpose of all his words such a grovelling disregard for truth decency and courtesy as to seem to court the distinction only of being understood as a vulgar liar. Meeting one who prefers falsehood, whose instincts are all toward falsehood, whose thought is falsification, whose aim is vilification through insincere professions of honesty, one whose only merit is thus described, and who evidently desires to be thus known, the obstacles presented are entirely insurmountable, and whoever would touch them fully should expect to be abominably defiled. Union, May twenty-first. You assume in your last note that I have challenged Mr. Wilmington, and that he has informed me, over his own signature, that he is quite ready to afford me satisfaction. Both assumptions are utterly false. I have twice challenged you, and you have twice attempted to shirk the responsibility— Mr. W.'s note could not possibly be an answer to my demand of satisfaction from you, and besides, his note simply avowed authorship of a certain communication that appeared simultaneously with your libelous editorial, and states that its author had nothing to retract. For your gratification, however, I will remark that Mr. Wilmington's case will be attended to in due time by a distant acquaintance of his who is not willing to see him suffer in obscurity. In the meantime, if you do not wish yourself posted as a coward, you will at once accept my peremptory challenge, which I now reiterate. SAM L. CLEMENS 6. OFFICE OF TERRITORIAL ENTERPRISE, VIRGINIA, MAY twenty-first, 1864 J. W. WILMINGTON Sir, you are, perhaps, far from those who are wont to advise and care for you, else you would see the policy of minding your own business and letting that of other people alone." Under these circumstances, therefore, I take the liberty of suggesting that you are getting out of your sphere. A contemptible ass, and coward like yourself, should only meddle in the affairs of gentlemen when called upon to do so. I approve and endorse the course of my principle in this matter, and, if your sensitive disposition is aroused by any proceeding of his, I have only to say that I can be found at the Enterprise office, and always at your service. S. E. Gillis to the above mr wilmington gave a verbal reply to mr millard the gentleman through whom the note was conveyed to him stating that he had no quarrel with mr gillis that he had written his communication only in defense of the craft and did not desire a quarrel with a member of that craft he showed mr g s note to mr millard who read it but made no comments upon it seven office of the virginia daily union monday morning may twenty third eighteen sixty four "'Samuel Clemens, Esquire. In reply to your lengthy communication, I have only to say that in your note opening this correspondence, you demanded satisfaction for a communication in the Union which branded the writer of an article in the Enterprise as a liar, a poltroon, and a puppy. You declare yourself to be the writer of the Enterprise article, and the avowed author of the Union communication stands ready to afford satisfaction.' any attempt to evade a meeting with him and force one upon me will utterly fail, as I have no right under the rulings of the Code to meet or hold any communication with you in this connection. The threat of being posted as a coward cannot have the slightest effect upon the position I have assumed in the matter. If you think this correspondence reflects credit upon you, I advise you by all means to publish it. In the meantime— you must excuse me from receiving any more long epistles from you. James L. Laird I denounce Mr. Laird as an unmitigated liar, because he says I published an editorial in which I attacked the printers employed on the Union, whereas there is nothing in that editorial which can be so construed. Moreover, he is a liar on general principles, and from natural instinct. I denounce him as an abject coward because it has been stated in his paper that its proprietors are responsible for all articles appearing in its columns, yet he backs down from that position, because he acknowledges the code, but will not live up to it, because he says himself that he is responsible for all editorials, and then backs down from that also, and because he insults me in his note marked 4, and yet refuses to fight me. Finally, he is a fool." because he cannot understand that a publisher is bound to stand responsible for any and all articles printed by him, whether he wants to do it or not. Sam L. Clemens Territorial Enterprise, May twenty-fourth, 1864 Miscegenation We published a rumor, the other day, that the monies collected at the Carson Fancy dress-ball were to be diverted from the sanitary fund, and sent forward to aid a miscegenation, or some other sort of society in the East— We also stated that the rumor was a hoax, and it was, we were perfectly right. However, four ladies are offended. We cannot quarrel with ladies, the very thought of such a thing is repulsive. Neither can we consent to offend them even unwittingly, without being sorry for the misfortune, and seeking their forgiveness, which is a kindness we hope they will not refuse. We intended no harm, as they would understand easily enough if they knew the history of this offense of ours but we must suppress that history since it would rather be amusing than otherwise and the amusement would be at our expense we have no love for that kind of amusement and the same trait belongs to human nature generally one lady complained that we should at least have answered the note they sent us it is true there is small excuse for our neglect of a common politeness like that yet we venture to apologize for it and will still hope for pardon just the same we have noticed one thing in this whole business, and also in many an instance which has gone before it, and that is, that we resemble the majority of our species in the respect that we are very apt to get entirely in the wrong, even when there is no seeming necessity for it. But to offset this vice, we claim one of the virtues of our species, which is that we are ready to repair such wrongs when we discover them. End of section 18